Welcome to the Highland Southern Baptist Podcast. Each week, Keith Perrin will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message. If you have a Bible, you can read along with us. Our mission is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ from Hillsboro, Missouri to the rest of the world. Now, here's Pastor Keith. If you would get your Bibles open up to the book of Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> This particular sermon is its about walking by the Spirit, uh, but it starts the first 15 verses. It talks about what the struggle is that the church in Galatia was actually facing. And the struggle was, and this is something I've told you guys many times before, it's a struggle that we as individuals face too. Um, and it's its really this, uh, this overbearing urge to feel like we have to do something in order for us to maintain our salvation. Um, in other words, the better we are, the more spiritual we are. And uh, there is nothing farther from the truth. Um, legalism was something that, that bore down on the, on the church, uh, especially the Gentile churches, because when Christ was being taught to the Gentiles, where the Apostle Paul was at, um, the Jews became very jealous over that. And they seen it kind of as an untapped resource, where before Christ had come along, uh, the Jews rarely, if ever, accepted anybody from the outside. So they were very exclusive. They were Jew exclusive. Then when the Jews seen that Jesus Christ was being uh, proclaimed and the church was growing amongst the Gentiles, they seen it as an untapped resource because, of course, they started thinking things like, here's a whole other group of individuals that we have the potential of being influence, influencers over and an entire new group of people who is not paying taxes. So we could be getting tax money from these guys. We could be, there's a whole bunch of stuff that we could be doing as Jews that that benefits us. So they started going into these churches and teaching uh, the law. Now, although the law is going to be the theme, I'm also going to put it into into a context of, of the way that I see a lot of people in the world today perceiving Christianity. And it is very much like, the uh, the Jews not necessarily perceived it, but the way they wanted other individuals to perceive it. In other words, um, usually I don't talk about denominations, but I'm going to tell you right now today, I'm going to talk about two. And they are doctrinal beliefs that are broadly accepted by two denominations. One of those denominations is Catholicism. Although I'll say, and I'm going to say this and everybody hear me because this is not a, this is not a bashing a Catholic statement. Hear me. I know Catholics who believe that their salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. So I am not talking about people who are Catholic. I'm talking about the doctrine of the Catholic Church, which says that it's not only Christ and his sacrifice that is required, but it is also your ability to do good. It's those two things together that supply salvation to you. The Church of Christ, especially the seven-day Seventh-day Adventists, they believe that you as an individual must be physically baptized. That if you are not physically dunked in water and you die, that you'll go to hell. These things are magnifying the works of the flesh. And you cannot magnify the works of the flesh without diminishing the work of Christ. Did you hear me? 
You cannot magnify the works of the flesh without diminishing of Christ. In other words, salvation came to us through Christ and Christ alone. Through Christ's sacrifice, we have been set free. In Jesus' own words, free indeed. In other words, in and of itself, the total consumption of sin. So we've fallen in this trap today, just as the Jews were trying to get the Gentiles to fall into the trap, that it was okay for you to believe in Jesus Christ, but you being good, it's kind of the whipped cream and the cherry on top. When the truth is, there is no more dangerous lie that can be, that can be told. Because the works of righteousness that are just performed on the outside have no value. I've said this before with people who are giving, uh, people in giving of offerings. What do you think God can do more with? $1 from somebody who gives it from the right heart or $10,000 from a person who gives it simply out of their abundance so they can be proud of themselves? God will do more with the $1 given with the right heart than he will with the 10000 that's given with the wrong heart. Because, and, and it makes sense as a human being because, I mean, one, this gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't it just seem way too good to be true? That while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us? That the sacrifice itself was enough? That what you do is not necessary? Hold on to that. What you do in the flesh is not necessary when it comes to the, the uh, salvation of your soul, and the sanctification of your life. So Paul's trying to get this along to the Galatians. And the trap that they fell into was when they first trusted in Christ, they were excited in Christ. They understood the value of believing in Jesus Christ. After these individuals had come in and influenced the church, people began to uh, believe the lies. And he points one specifically out here, but I want you to know that even though he points out one specifically, he's talking about the law as a, as a whole. So take a look at chapter 5, starting with verse 1. It says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. In this particular verse, Paul is taking a poke at the Jews because the Jews saw the yoke of righteousness as something that was a benefit. Um, Those who were still under the law, they saw a yoke. And what's a yoke used for? A yoke's used to control a domesticated animal. So the way the Jews saw it was the law was a yoke of righteousness. It was something that was good to be placed on the neck of an individual because of the fact that it controlled them. I ask you a simple question. In Christianity, do you think God wants us being controlled by someone else and something else on the outside? Or do you think he wants us controlled by someone on the inside? You see that the result is almost the same, but the result in and of itself is more beneficial when it happens as a result of salvation in Christ. Because salvation in Christ gives us the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which we'll get to when we get to to around verse 16. We'll start getting into that side of it. The Apostle Paul took what they called the yoke of righteousness, and he turned it into something 
that would be perceived less positive, more negative. A yoke of slavery. In other words, does an ox have a choice? The, the ox's choice is taken away. That ox is bent to the will of the individual holding the reins. And in that particular day, was God holding the reins? Or were the Pharisees holding the reins? The Pharisees were holding the reins. Another human being held the reins. And we know how well they did that because Jesus criticized them in all, in all four of the Gospels, in every recording. Jesus criticized the Pharisees because they were individuals who were putting weights on individuals' shoulders that they weren't willing to bear themselves, that they wouldn't lift a finger to bear themselves. Individuals who were converted by the Pharisees. He said that those individuals were doubly dead, making them twice the sons of hell that they were. We know how Jesus looked not so favorably on the Pharisees. Because they were individuals who operated and not only operated under, but also influenced other people by placing the law and the expectations of law of the law on their shoulders. But Paul said, keep standing firm. He's given reference back to the day that we placed. Do you remember the day that you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about the, you may remember the month, day, and year that you placed your trust in Jesus Christ, but I'm talking about that place in your life where you first trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, where the gratitude was overflowing because it was unfathomable to us to, to trust in a God who forgave our sins just instantly when we said, we trust you. He's saying stand firm, meaning stand firm in that place where you are at when you placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Because if you take a, take a yoke of slavery upon your neck, you will still be bound and are not an individual who will exemplify freedom in Christ. He said unto you, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Now, he clarifies this a little bit later on, but he's saying if an individual takes circumcision because of the reason that the Jews say you're supposed to take circumcision, then salvation really never happened in your life. Because you're saying, and he he points this out too in a few verses, he's saying what Jesus did wasn't enough. Do you think there's a greater slap in the face of the second person of the Trinity than to say, What Jesus Christ did wasn't enough. Verse 3, And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. A lot of people look at this and say, well, looky there, right there, a person lost their salvation. You've got to look at this whole thing in context. Go back to verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, it was, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you have received circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. If we fall into this trap along the way, if we trusted in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and if that experience was not enough to lock us into a relationship with God, understanding that he was 100% of the source of salvation, 
And we begin to think that we are individuals who have to do good things in order for us to keep our salvation. Did Christ really provide it? Or is it something we're earning? So when individuals say that it's Christ plus your good behavior that gets you to heaven, slap in the face to Jesus. When an individual says another human being has to grab you by the by the, the front and back of your body and shove you underwater in order for you to get to go to heaven, what does that say about salvation being accomplished in Christ? The Bible's clear, folks. That baptism, it means something. It associates us with Christ, buried with Christ, raised to walk in newness of life. But it is not the source of salvation. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is the source of salvation. It's when the alteration to our life happens through the influence of the Holy Spirit to trust in Jesus Christ as our portion of the Lord and Savior. At that point, the transition happens from the inside, not from the outside. Have anybody tell you that they love you because they had to? Or have you ever had anybody tell you that they forgave you because they had to? Does it mean more to you when it's something they mean instead of something they need to do just to be able to get over the hump? There's a big difference. Walking around doing good things without a relationship with Christ will bound somebody to hell just as fast as not trusting in him at all. Verse 5 says, For we through the Spirit, by faith, waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Anytime you see leaven in the scriptures, it's referring leaven is being referred to as sin. How many of you guys have ever heard of a gateway drug? Any sin at all is a gateway sin. In the same way that it takes a very small amount of leaven to leaven an entire lump of dough, it takes a very small amount of sin to encompass everything in sin. It's vitally important, folks, that we as individuals who place our trust in Christ to get this right. And individuals who say, oh, well, you know, you can't stand up there and say that Jesus took care of it all. That's just going to make people think that they can live however they want to. Have you ever met a genuine Christian who placed their trust in Jesus Christ, who had a desire to live any other way than the way that Christ wanted them to? As Christians, we live the way we live because we want to. Now, there's a struggle there, and the struggle's real. Because we're still human beings with a fallen nature. That's why for us it seems like grace is a gift way too good to be true. That salvation, the way the Bible teaches it, that's way too good to, I mean, I've got to do something, right? By nature itself, how many of us can accept a gift without feeling obligated to the one who gave it? And if you feel like you're the one that's given the gift, through your ability to be good, 
then who are you obligated to? But if you feel like Christ is the one who gave you the gift, who do you naturally feel obligated to? While I was preparing for this, I brought to, it brought back to my memory one thing that I say quite often. And I spend a, a lot of time, I don't like, I don't go to parties and don't, I don't do, but I do spend a lot of time talking to a lot of lost people, just in the natural course of life. And uh, there are individuals who are all the time, oh, he's going to do it, he's going to cuss. Because I get angry about something, or I get frustrated, but he's going to cuss. 100% of the time, my response is, without even thinking about it, Jesus wouldn't like that. Jesus wouldn't like that. It's not because I think if I did cuss that I would go to hell. But it's because I'm obligated to the one who I'm genuinely grateful for. It's not that I don't have the capacity to say a cuss word. It's not that we don't have the capacity to do anything that brings satisfaction in this world. Because all of us know for a fact that we do. We have the capacity to do that. But do we fight the urge because we're afraid God's going to be mad at us? Or because we're afraid we're going to disappoint him? The Jews made this very abstract, complicated. Salvation plus circumcision. Salvation plus your ability to do good things. That's what your salvation is attached to, and it's a lie from the pits of hell. Verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view but the one who is disturbing you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. He's not saying this guy's going to get his. Okay, I want you to read that correctly. The guy who is disturbing you is going to face his own judgment. In other words, if an individual comes to us and tries to influence us with things that are contrary to the Scripture, that person's going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ just as well as we do. And many of those individuals won't stand before the judgment seat of Christ. They will stand before the great white throne judgment. Because those individuals, in most cases, if not all, are lost as a ball in high weeds. I know some people don't buy it that simply, but it really is that simple. If salvation is, is accomplished in Christ then it is no part you that accomplished that salvation. If I give you a gift, can you get rid of the gift? Listen carefully to me. If I give you a gift and you accept it, Can you then lose that gift? There's only one way you lose that gift. And that's if I'm the one that takes it back. Now you can give it away. You can throw it in the trash. 
You can do whatever you want to with that gift. But you can't affect my giving it to you. In other words, if salvation was accomplished in Christ, it's kept by Christ. The phrase is used in the scripture is sealed until the day of redemption. Now, I've told people all the time that there are individuals who have said they trusted in Christ. But just like the ones Paul talked about here, if you say you trust in Christ, but this, but still believe that you are the one who is maintaining your salvation, you're more lost than you were the day you said you trusted in Christ. Because that's an individual who's convinced that they are saved. When in fact... They really aren't. He uses one of these arguments a little bit farther down. What use is salvation in Christ? What use was the sacrifice if any part of you can earn it? Verse 11 says, but I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. Would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Paul's saying, look, I'm not telling you not to be circumcised. I mean, nowadays... It has more of a health benefit than it does other things. And there are some people that are opposed to it. Some people do it. Some people don't. Paul's saying, I'm not saying that it's something you shouldn't do. I'm just saying that it's something that is not attached to your salvation. And then he makes a point in this, in this, uh, in verse 12. He says, would that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. There was a cult back then called the cult of Sybil. Sybil, of course, was a little ways before all of this. Sybil had been gone for a while, but the cult still existed. And I apologize for the graphic nature of this, but the Apostle Paul said this, and he said it for a purpose, so I'm going to make this purpose clear. I'll try to be as truthful as I can. The priests of the cult of Sybil castrated themselves. They were self-made eunuchs. Paul's statement here is saying, if the Jews really believe what it is that they say they believe, then why are they stopping there? If they really believe that that's what's true, then why aren't they taking it to the greatest extreme that they could possibly take it? In other words... If Jesus said, I need you to jump two feet, would you just jump two feet? Or would you be sure and jump at least three? Muslims. 72 virgins if they blow themselves up in a crowd. You can't get much more extreme than that, can you? But an interesting point about that, do you know who never seems to blow themselves up in the crowd? The one telling the other people to go blow themselves up in a crowd. 
So do they really believe what it is that they're telling people to go and do? Because if they did, I'm guessing that they would be strapping on the bombs, running into the crowd themselves. By nature, folks, we're selfish people. We love lust by nature. We love power by nature. We love authority by nature. When an individual takes what God has given, makes more of it for the purpose of influencing people to a greater extent, that person has assumed authority and power over other individuals. It's simple, folks. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Where's water baptism in that verse? Where's circumcision in that verse? Where's your ability to do good things in that verse? Because it gives us the source and the act that leads to salvation. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I know Paul's heart with verse 12. And I can tell you as a pastor, there is nothing more heartbreaking to me than for me to see individuals misled by other individuals and then being led down a path that is motivated by nothing more than manipulation and selfish authority and power. And it happens all the time. People make it about the version of the Bible. They make it about the kind of music that's sang during the worship service. They make it about the prayer that's prayed, the length of it. They make it about the color of the carpet and the color of the drapes, for crying out loud. They make it about almost anything. When the truth is, if this is ever about anything more than Christ alone, it's a loss. Verse 13 says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. Addressing the question I spoke earlier. Wait a minute. If I have freedom in Christ, and it's real freedom, if that liberty is real liberty, then I can choose to do whatever I want to. And I'll stand here and tell you that theologically, that is absolutely right. Because salvation in Christ is salvation in Christ, and it is not, once again, attached to your actions. 
100% attached to Christ's actions. His death, burial, and resurrection. But Paul says here, you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. In other words, you have freedom. With true freedom comes great responsibility. If you love something, set it free. How many of you guys have ever heard that? I'll tell you the way that most people in the world look at it, though. If you love something, set it free. If it doesn't come back, hunt it down and kill it. Christ loved us so much that he set us free. And he's not one who's going to hunt us down and kill us. He loved us enough in that first experience to say, I really hope that you understand the gravity of the love that I've showed you. And an individual who understands the gravity of the love that Jesus Christ has shown us is an individual who takes the understanding that with great freedom comes great responsibility very seriously. Because if we become individuals who do things just because they're perceived as good, we may fill a person's belly, make them feel good one day, but if we have the Spirit of God that resides in us, there is a compassion and a passion that has that person's heart, that person's mind on our mind every day. And we're lifting them up to God on a regular basis. And if they're gone too long, we run into them, we check on them. If they hurt, we hurt. If they celebrate, we celebrate. This is the idea of what a church family is. Serving one another. In whatever capacity that may be. And if you've ever been someone who has been disconnected, truly disconnected, you know, through this whole pandemic thing, we've had a lot of people who hadn't returned to church. A lot of those people stayed in, in touch through Facebook. They watched the sermons. They kept up with the church. And they that's not what I'm talking about by disconnected. I'm talking about the individuals who genuinely disconnect. Testimonies. One individual who told me that they had been attending the church for almost 10 years. Working with a person on a fairly regular basis in that church. Went forward to ask to be baptized. Got a message from the person they worked with. That it was great to meet them. People who have come to this church and been gone from for three months. And they run into somebody from their church and they say, oh, I didn't know you weren't going there anymore. Do you know what we tend to do as human beings? We tend to do just enough to satisfy us. When the truth is, we should be doing just enough to satisfy everyone else. 
don't get me wrong. We should care little, very little about what other people think when it comes to us living and speaking the truth. But if we're caring what the Lord thinks, that translates very well to other individuals because it's the love that Christ first showed us that's being shown to everyone else. We're not being manipulated by things people say. We're not being manipulated by the things that other individuals do. We're not being manipulated by our own emotions. We're not being manipulated by our own things that we want. We're not being manipulated by anything except the love of Christ, in which case really isn't manipulation because he's very straightforward with every expectation he has for us. Verse 14 says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. When we fall in this trap that individuals are really only being good Christians, if they're acting like good Christians, what does that create? How many, how many of you guys, and I, I don't do this enough, I know that you guys don't want praise, but I'm telling you what, I'm going to stand up here and give you the praise of Jesus. <clears throat> if you work in any capacity in this church, have in the past, actively doing it now, something you know that the Lord's going to do in the future, raise your hand. Quite a few people raising their hands. If I think the quality of your work is based on your ability to just do good. And all of a sudden, the quality of your work fails. What does that do about my opinion to you? It becomes unfavorable. And when people have unfavorable opinions about other people, they don't talk about it. It was absolutely mind-blowing to me when I came to the conclusion that in order for everybody to be a Christian, they don't have to be living at my level any more than I have to be living at anyone else's level. If we're genuinely believers in Jesus Christ, we're all on the same path just in different places on that path. And the Lord is teaching each and every one of us as we continue to move forward. Why do you suppose the individuals who are older and wiser are so important important according to the the, uh, scriptures? No right to condemn anywhere in the scriptures. It does not tell us to tear people down anywhere in the Bible. We say things to people sometimes that are hard to hear, and I hope that our intentions behind saying things to people that are hard to hear is to be able to help them along, to restore them, to help them stand up, to help them along the way. Just how open are our children to hearing about learning from our mistakes? 
typically not very. A lot of times they have to go through a lot of the things they go through in order for them to really learn. And most most kids, when they get older, they go back to their parents and they go, man, I really wish I'd have listened to you a long time ago. You have value as a mature Christian. Jesus wants us to be individuals that in many cases we didn't have. The individuals that can help them along the path. Not individuals who beat them up when they make a mistake. Not individuals who are abusive to them because they don't do things the way that we think they should be done. Verse 16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. This goes right back to what I said a while ago. When we fall into the trap, of living our lives to a particular standard, who sets the standard? That's why the Apostle Paul said that if if you are circumcised, that you are required to live the entire law. In other words, if you're going to live out any part of the law, you don't get to set the standard anymore. The standard is the written law of God. If we were required to live out the law with perfection, where would hope be for any of us? Do you think as a human being, we're even, re- we're even capable of setting a standard? We are, but we shouldn't be. The truth is, and I even find myself in these situations where I'm guilty of this when I'm doing it under the guise, convincing myself that I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. I would not suggest people pick up hitchhikers. But in many cases, I have picked up a hitchhiker and I felt pretty good about it. And I asked the hitchhiker where he's going. And he here's one particularly, he said, Park Hills. And well, I'm going to DeSoto. Well, you can just drop me off at 110. That'll be very helpful. Drop me off at Highway 110. Stick my chest out. Hand in the air. Praise Jesus. I did my, my Christian duty for the day. When in reality, you know what the Lord was telling me? Take him to Park Hills. And then something I would have never thought about as a human being. He says, take him to Park Hills. They will be locked in the cab of a truck for 20 minutes with a preacher. No way under the sun that would have come to mind with my little finite brain. It's almost a curse walking through Walmart anymore. Excuse me, sir. Could you get that off the top shelf for me? And we get it off the top shelf for them. And usually walk on. Instead of 
Do you need anything else you can't reach? I'll be happy to follow you two rows over and get something else if you need something else. The little old lady who has a 50-pound bag of dog food in her cart. Excuse me, sir, could you help me lift this into my trunk? Sure. I feel pretty good about myself if I just put the dog food in. Forget about the cart full of other stuff. When the Lord will tell us, lift the dog food for her. And then help her put the rest of it in there, too. Folks, God's more capable of good than we are. And if we're individuals who will recognize the fact that we are not supposed to be controlled by us, we are not supposed to be controlled by a standard, we're not supposed to be controlled by any set of rules, but controlled and led by the Holy Spirit, the conflict's there, and it's real. Hasn't happened in a while, but them phone calls at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm getting older. I'm, in, I'm asleep by 2 o'clock in the morning. Now, I used to stay up till 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I just cannot do it anymore. But the phone will still ring at 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, preacher, what you doing? Oh, nothing. Do you need something? Nope, just called to talk. What do you think the flesh wants to do? But you know what God says? They want to talk. It doesn't matter whether it's 2, 3, 4, or 5 o'clock in the morning. Doesn't matter if it's your day off. Doesn't matter if you're on vacation. Doesn't matter if it's a holiday. Who is not going through something if they have the urge to call a preacher at 2 o'clock in the morning? We see this obviously, folks. We see that what God wants to accomplish to, in people's lives is so much farther beyond anything that we as individuals could imagine on our own. We fall into this trap of following rules. It's restricting. That's why he called it a yoke of slavery. It binds us up. It prevents God from really being able to accomplish what it is that he wants to accomplish in the lives of the individuals around us. It also prevents God from being able to accomplish in us what he wants to accomplish in us. If an individual says the grace of God has given me permission to do anything that I want, they have a total misconception about what the grace of God is. But if an individual understands that the grace of God has set us free indeed, and in that freedom, we choose out of gratitude and out of love to be his tool to be used, however he desires to use it, then he can accomplish great things through us. And I'm trying to wrap this up, but folks, I'll tell you this, and I'm seeing this more and more, and I can say this is an absolute fact. The world out there, they need to know that salvation comes with no attachments. It comes with no more baggage 
than simply trusting in Christ? Well, first you've got to get saved. You trust in Jesus. Then you've got to go to Sunday school. Then you've got to go to church. Then you've got to go to those Bible study classes. Then you've got to pray before you eat. Then you've got to pray before you go to bed. Then you've got to pray after you get up. Then you've got to read your Bible at least four or five times a day. Then you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta. And I think it's probably a pretty big slap in God's face for us to say, all right, Lord, you save them and we'll tell them what to do. Don't fall in the trap. Because the trap doesn't only make people slaves, but it also creates more slaves. Is there responsibility in Christ? Yes. But for individuals who walk by the Spirit, the Spirit will lay those responsibilities to each individual. We don't attend church because of the people that go there. We're family. We should love each other, and that should be a fringe benefit. But we shouldn't attend because they go there. We shouldn't attend because we feel better when we attend. I've said this many times before, folks. We have made Christianity so complicated. It is no surprise to me at all that lost people don't want to be a part of it. And if I've learned one thing, 30 years in ministry, it's that when you put Jesus in his proper place, everything else will automatically go into its proper place. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. If you're comfortable coming up here and talking to me, that's fine. You want to stay after church and... We can talk, and I've said we can stand on opposite ends of the building and yell back and forth to each other. I can call you. I can whatever you want to do that makes you comfortable. But I am asking you this. If the Holy Spirit, and you'll know what I mean, if the Holy Spirit moves you during this invitation song, don't brush it off. Respond to it. If you have a desire to become a member of the church, I had two people that came last Sunday. If you have a desire to become a member of the church and you haven't, maybe you've been saved, but in the words it wasn't followed through and believe never followed through in believers' baptism, get it right today. If you're here today and you're a believer, and I really, really, really hope that you walk out of here today getting this. Christ is the source of everything. The reason that Paul said, when I came to you, I claimed to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Put him in the proper place today. Don't fall into the trap. Live a life that is truly free. That's how you live life indeed. That's how you live life at its fullest. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, prayer requests, or just want to say hello, you can reach us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. We hope that this message was encouraging to all of our listeners. Have a blessed week.